0: How cool is this? I get to be the preacher. I'm not a better preacher than John Letterman, but I do have more hair, so we're going to run with that. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, for myself this morning, I pray that I'll not get in the way of your word. Um, I have wrestled with you for a month about what you want me to say this morning, and I don't want to be in the way of that. Lord, for all of us in the room this morning, I, I pray that you'll examine our hearts. Lord, if, if there's a part of our heart that's fallow and hard, break it up and make it ready. If the thing that might get in the way of your word is a wound, Lord, then we ask you to bind that up and heal it. And Lord, if some part of our heart is imprisoned and, and not receptive, Lord, then make us free because this morning we desire to hear from you. In your name, amen. Usually about two weeks before I preach, people start asking me, are you ready? My notes. No, I'm kidding. That's a visual aid. <laughs> then they ask me, are you nervous? Well, and I will tell you just the right amount. But let me turn that question around. Are you ready? Yeah. Did you come expecting? Did you come anticipating that God would have some things to say to you or did you just figure you're going to get the Sunday off because pastor's out of town? <laughs> if you would, turn to John chapter 15. We're going to read the first 11 verses. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And we're going to focus on verse 5. Thank you. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to start just visualizing this. This It's a very visual kind of verse. Jesus is describing this phenomenal ecosystem. We have the vine, and Jesus is the vine. The vine is the part of, we're, we're talking about grapes here. The vine is the part that has roots in the ground. It's the, the source of life from the soil. It brings all the, 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 the nutrients out of the soil up and feeds the branches. And the father is the vine dresser. So we have the, the, the vine grows up, the branches, they, they spread the branches out and they tie them out so that the grapes don't lie on the ground as they grow. And the, the vine dresser, he comes along and and he just, he tends the vine you know, so that everything is living and healthy and growing just the way it should. The Holy Spirit is like the sap in the, in the plant, carrying nutrients from the vine out to the branches, carrying oxygen back from the branches down to the vine. That will be our prayers back to him. So we have this beautiful, holy perfect ecosystem going and you you would think that if this is what jesus described to us that maybe our life would be simple wouldn't it i mean he set up the perfect system but i want you to picture also what it's like when plants grow um i don't know how many of you successfully garden i've killed almost every i've killed everything i ever planted except three things i'll tell you what they are Uh, we rented a house once we had this vine that was growing in our backyard that we couldn't kill it looked like it was growing some kind of, a, of, of food. So I, one year, I just decided to let it grow. We'll see what it is. When it, it turned out to be zucchini, which, if you like zucchini, is awesome. About the only way I eat zucchini is baked into bread. So uh, my old wife, who baked zucchini bread that year, um, could not kill that plant. Um, I have daffodils that grow in my backyard. Every spring, I go out and I dig up the bulbs, and Every spring, there are more daffodils, and they, they're spreading. They're just kind of, it's all really, really random. Don't know. Can't kill the daffodils and morning glories. Have you ever had morning glories? They will just take over the place. My backyard is about 10 feet by 10 feet. Okay, I can't afford to have anything take over my backyard. Cannot kill the morning glories. But anything I ever tried to grow be attacked by insects, or we'd get some kind of blight or crud, or it would be really hot, and it would wither and die, or or we'd forget to water it, and it would dry up and die. Growing plants is just like that. They take work. So the vine dresser, he's busy you know, you, you'd think, oh, this is God's vine. No, this is going to be wonderful. No, God's vine is under attack too. God's branches, God's vine, and his branches are under attack as well. But he dresses the vine. He takes care of the vine. We've talked, maybe I've heard it more than it's been said, I don't know. But the thing that has hit me over and over and over again over the last year or two is everything that's really vital and important and, and essential to our life as Christians comes from the Father. That the faith that I need, well, the calling to repentance comes from the Father. That the, the conviction of my own sin, my own understanding of, of things in my life that God's not happy with, that comes from God. That the Faith to respond to that comes from God. That God commands us to love, and the love that we're supposed to love with others, that comes from God. And if all this comes from God, the question that comes to my mind, and if you're curious about these kinds of things, it's come to your mind too, and and if it hasn't, that's okay. You're going to just like, yeah, okay, I'm with you, Scott. Then why are so few of us living that way? Why are so few of us living that vital enthusiastic, Christ-like life. Why don't we see it? Now, the word that that turns up in the NIV is remain. I'm going to stick with an older word, which is abide. Actually, the word that's there, and and I don't speak Greek, so I took commentary's word for it. It gets translated as remain, abide, stay. And there's always this idea, though, that you're in a place, Um, not just standing in a place but that you exist in a place that you live in a place uh, an image that came to mind for me of that is if, if someone you don't like is always in your head we talk about them living rent-free in your head um, abide in Christ what does it mean to abide in Christ and how does that happen well this should be where we live we live and breathe in Jesus. I, I like the, the, the one line in, in the song we sang that, that our breath is from you. Um, uh, one of the old hymns talks about how God lends us breath. It goes back to this very beginning imagery of, of Adam being created in the garden and God breathed life into him. We owe our entire lives To Jesus in our hearts. We need to live in Jesus. And if you're also curious, the next question you're asking then is, well, how do I make that happen? Now, if you read John, this image of of abiding in Christ, this comes up over and over and over again. It goes back all the way to like chapter five of, of his gospel. It turns up in every single one of his epistles. And as I was pondering this, I said, Lord, why, why don't you just, as long as you had John writing about this so much, why don't you just write, have John write, a, you know, 10 steps to living in, 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 in Christ, abiding in Christ? Because that's the way I function. You give me a list of things to do and a system that works, and, and I'm a maintainer. I'll go in and I'll run your system. I'm happy. Um, and the first answer that God gave me back was, well, not everybody's like you, Scott. I could have had John do that, and then people would have spent 2,000 years beating their head against the wall because that's not how they function.'" I'm a little stubborn. That answer didn't satisfy me, so I kept asking. And I will tell you, just this morning, God answered that question again, and he said, look, and this was just an image that flashed in my head as I was waking up this morning, but it was perfect. He says, I want you to picture this, and if, if you've raised children or worked with children, you've had this experience. You walk in one morning, and they dress themselves and the shirt's on inside out, so the buttons aren't buttoned, and it doesn't match the pants, and the shoes are on the wrong feet. And when you try and fix it, they will look at you and go, I do it myself. Do it myself. That's what it would be like. If I tried to abide in Christ under my own strength and my own wisdom, I'd be that two-year-old. And so would you. You're not any smarter than me, so... we lack the wisdom. We lack the power. I want you to picture again this vine. It's a different context, but Paul describes those of us who are not Jewish believers as engrafted branches. Jesus is this perfect, healthy vine. We get saved. We become part of the vine. The branch is engrafted. Do you know what the grafting process looks like? I'm a city kid, so I've never seen it uphand. I've watched some YouTube videos just so I had a a picture, And there's a very, there are very precise cuts that need to be made, both in the vine and in the branch. And then they're put together and they're bound up and so that so they can heal and grow together as one. The branch does not do that. The vine does it. Because the branch is separated from any source of strength, any source of nutrition, any source of material to grow that bond together. That comes from the vine. So... The first step, I think, if if we can start to divide it into steps a little bit, for for those of us who are oriented this way, is that you have to be connected to the vine. You have to be born again. You're never going to grow in in faith. You're never going to grow in Christ-likeness. You're never going to abide in Christ if you're not connected. It doesn't matter how many steps you take, how much effort you put into it, you will never make that happen. Um, if you try, all that stuff that, that attacks those branches, you're left to defend for yourself. Uh, I, I remember once talking about not being able to kill my plants. We had a groundhog in my backyard. City kid, okay, I didn't know groundhogs would burrow that far. I am not close to, well, I'm four blocks from the city, the edge of the city. I don't know how far this groundhog had to dig underground to pop up underneath my garage and turn up in my backyard, but it came underneath concrete and asphalt and, God, did not kill a plant. But if there had been something there that had borne fruit, we haven't even gotten to fruit yet, that had borne fruit. It would have eaten that fruit. It would have stolen my food, my, whatever I was growing back there. Now, fortunately, I was able to defend against that. We got some, uh, well, I won't bother you with it. But we got rid of the groundhog without doing it any harm. Um, so we abide in the vine under the power of Jesus Christ under the watch care of the vine dresser, infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. It still comes back to the same question, though. Why, then, are so many of us not healthy, fruit-bearing branches? And I really appreciated last week's message on on seeking God's face because I thought it just led into this real nicely because what it means is, I need to live in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, let me kind of shade this a little bit because there there's a book out there about living in the presence of, of Jesus that the, the author tried to think every minute about Jesus. No matter what he was doing, he, he wanted to focus on Jesus. And people will hold up that book as a good example, but I will tell you that it just about drove the man insane. I mean, really? it did it's because we don't live in that kind of a life we have limited minds I, mean, I work in IT when I'm troubleshooting a problem I'm not sometimes I'm blessing people but it's, <laughs> it's not not what you might expect from from a Christian um, I'm focused on the problem I have to be focused on the problem Andrew Murray gives an example though in, in discussing this very thing he compares it to marriage he says, I love my wife. I'm an, I'll am personalize it. I think about my wife all the time, not every minute, not every second, but I'm always married. People know within minutes of meeting me that I have a wife who I love dearly, that we've been married for, it'll be 36 years here in a few weeks. Um, I make all kinds of decisions throughout the day based on the fact that I'm married, how I talk to people, how I talk about my wife, because I want people to love my wife as much as I do, because I think she's awesome. I am attentive to my work in ways I might not be if I weren't responsible for her. I say, I avoid saying things that, I mean, not that, truthfully, not that things I say at work are going to get back to her, because I work in King of Prussia, and she lives in Reading. We live in Reading. But I wouldn't want to say anything that would embarrass her or embarrass me in front of her if it got back to her when I'm at work. Or when I'm alone on the road. Yeah, I'll pick when you're driving. It's okay. Um, I'm always married. I mean, and not just as a fact, as an attitude, as a life folk, I'm always married. I'm always a disciple of Jesus Christ. I always have the life that the vine pours into me. I always have the tender ministrations of the vine dresser, even when he's taking things out of my life that I might want to keep, or when he's taking things out of my life that are a distraction. I mean, if you watched your plants grow, sometimes they start growing these little, Twigs off to the side that aren't going to bear fruit, but they are going to suck life out of the plant. So you, you prune them. You take them off. You get some dead leaves. You, you prune them off. You don't want anything taking life out of anything that's not going to produce fruit. So we abide. Is there something we can do then to do that? I mean, do we have a role? Because it's not magic. I I, I have a phrase, I talk about magic Christianity. This is when people go about their business and expect God to just make changes in their life and put everything back together the way it should be, no matter what they're doing. Well, that's not going to happen. If this is your encounter with Jesus Christ, this one hour on Sunday morning, and you go out and you live your life like however you want the rest of the week, you are not abiding in Christ. And all the things that God can do as he dresses the vine, as he makes you clean. And I just, that clean was an interesting word for me because it has all kinds of spiritual connotations, but actually a a vine, a branch that has been pruned and had all that other extraneous stuff removed, that's clean. All of that, none of that's going to happen if this is my whole experience if I'm not always in Christ. So how do I make that happen? Again, the same question. John records two specific clues here. The first one is in that idea of of being clean. When Jesus, Jesus, at this point, he's talking to his disciples. He's wrapping up his ministry. This is the, the last week before he's arrested. He says to them, you are already be clean because of the word I have spoken to you. They've spent three years in his presence. They've spent three years listening to him teach. They've spent three years being rebuked and corrected and made fun of when they did things that Jesus didn't approve of. They've spent three years just soaking it all in, being challenged, um, getting uppity and being put back in their place and, and all of that. And they were clean. All the extraneous stuff had been removed. Again, in, uh, in verse 7, Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, we could talk about prayer, but that's not really what I'm focused on here. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. Both of these instances, Jesus is really pressing the idea, look, I have said a lot of stuff to you. And for our benefit, it's been written down. Spend time there. Spend time. It takes time. How do you, and not just the mechanics. I would love the, the, the mechanics. It's the checklist thing. I would, I would be awesome with, with the checklist. Um, do you encounter the word when you read? And I'm not going to talk about how much you should read. That's between you and God. If God says read through the Bible in a year, then you best read through the Bible in a year. If you read 10 verses a day, but you spend those 10 verses encountering Jesus Christ and listening to what he has to say and letting the Holy Spirit influence your heart, that you are submitted and open and ready to hear and respond to the word, then I think you'll spend more time as things go on. You have to spend time looking for Jesus, looking for the face of God in his word. What do you have to say to me today? If you don't hear something today, don't sweat it. Your job is to abide. God will speak. Keep seeking his face. The other thing, then, that goes with that, then, is prayer. We have a conversation with God. We pray to him. He speaks to us through his word. We pray to him. He speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. This is constant, and this is the key. I'm always married to my wife because we have a relationship. We spend time together. It's not always happy. I'm not always as attentive as I should be, especially when the news is on. I'm a guy, okay, I, I'm not good at dividing my attention, but fortunately now we have DVRs, so I just pause the news and try and pay attention to my wife. When God speaks to you, are you paying attention? This was a hard lesson for me to learn at first, and I'll tell you why. It, and my apologies to those of you who've known me for a while because you've heard this story probably more than once. When I was a young Christian, I don't remember what I was going through because it was a long time ago, but I was going through something. And it just really distressed me that, that I wasn't getting an answer from God. And I went to people I knew at church, and they all came to me back, back to me with the same answer. Scott, read the Bible and pray. Read the Bible and pray. Read the Bible and pray. And look at their faces. And you could tell some people had a message behind that. And some of them, they learned that answer somewhere. I don't know, Sunday school? I don't knock Sunday school because I was a Sunday school teacher for a long time but there are answers that we give in Sunday school because it's the right answer to give. And that's, and I, well, i got nothing better to try. So I tried and, I, and it, it didn't happen immediately. I poured my heart out to God and I spent time in his word and I poured out my heart to God and I spent time in his word. And I got an answer eventually. And the, all I could tell people after that was, oh, read the Bible and pray. I get it now. And that's why John, I think, didn't give us 10 steps to abide in Christ because there's some things you just have to experience. You have to spend time in words, seeking God's face. Sometimes it's just going to be reading words on the page. I'm not going to lie to you. It's like that some days. But some days, God is going going to grab you by the arm and give you a little tug and say, hey, I'm talking to you here. And some days he's going to pick up a bat and whack you upside the head and say attention. That's our job. Not resist. Essentially, don't resist. Be consecrated to God. Give your life to him for his purpose because he wants to bear fruit through us. We have a purpose. Our purpose isn't to join the vine. God will take care of that. Our purpose isn't to provide our own life. The vine will take care of that. Our purpose is to produce fruit. Does the branch go there and struggle and go, fruit, fruit? No. You're built for fruit. Jesus says this so matter-of-factly. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit then? Now, I will tell you, my upbringing was not Nazarene or holiness in any way, shape, or form, and we never talked about bearing fruit. That was a concept that was totally foreign to my upbringing. And I I got saved at a time when sharing your faith was a really big thing and evangelism was a really big thing, and everybody talked about how, well, bearing fruit means winning people to Christ. And that was it. That was what it meant. And I think that's only part right. There's another place where we hear about fruit, Paul talks to us about bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And I think this is the first step in our life that the Holy Spirit, as we encounter Him, as we encounter the Word, as we spend time in communion and in relationship with our Holy God, begins to change our character. We don't have to take 10 steps to make that happen. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to pretend. We just have to abide. And our character changes. Now, that's just the first step, because God does not save us for ourselves. Branches don't eat fruit. They just don't. Fruit is for others. From God's first covenant with Abraham, he said, you will be a blessing to all nations. It was repeated through every one of the patriarchs. You will be a blessing to all nations. Jesus sent us out. Go out into the world. Make disciples, teaching them everything that I taught you. We are to be a blessing to the world around us. That's the next step of bearing fruit. Be a blessing to someone else. Does that mean grab them by the collar, shake them, you need to get saved? No. Well, maybe. Usually not. Be a blessing. We used to talk about blooming where you're planted. Wherever God has you, be Jesus there. You can't be Jesus if you're not in Jesus. You can't be be Jesus if you're doing it in your own strength. Jesus didn't do it in his own strength. Think about how many times did he say, I only say what the Father gave me to say. I only do what the Father gave me to do. And then when he talked about the Holy Spirit, he said, same thing will be for you. I will send the Holy Spirit and you will do what he tells you. He will give you the words to say. He will give you the power to do the things he wants you to do. The grand unity, um, I've been calling it for the last couple of days anyway, that there's just this phenomenal thing. And I want to point out kind of one last piece of illustration here before we start to wrap it up kind of sort of. There's not one branch on a vine, is there? We do not exist in a solitary relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm also not one to uh, beat up on the American church because church is what it is. I mean, the church has always had its ups and downs, and it's always had a core of people who believed and and a, a bunch of people who were just doing whatever they thought God wanted them to do or ignoring God or whatever. But I will pick on this one thing because as a culture, we are incredibly individualistic. And we are not called to live by ourselves. The vine has many branches. If you had had vineyards and you had one branch, you're not going to get many grapes. You're just not. You can only do so much by yourself. But as part of the body, as part of the vine, as we work together, as we work in common purpose, as we work at the will of the same vine, as we work under the tender ministrations of the same vine dresser, as we're working to achieve his goal, we will do great things. We will not just produce fruit. We will produce much fruit. You cannot do that all by your lonesome. You are not made that way. You will get hurt. You will be under attack. You will suffer all the things that people suffer. I mean, none of us is unique. We, we all face a little, you know, maybe a different set of problems, but we all have problems. We need one another. We are made for one another all bound together in the vine that gives us life. It requires intentionality. You're not going to accidentally fall into Jesus Christ. You're not going to accidentally learn the Bible. Um, My visual aid. As I said, I work in IT. I hold three IT certifications. That's nothing to pack a lot of people have more than that. To take those certification tests, I had five books this size. Read them all. Spent time in them. Spent a lot of money for work. We have one book. I don't care if you like to read. Guys say this all the time I hate to read. I don't care. I'm going to tell you, and I, I have a hard time reading because my eyes don't work together. And they switch all on their own. That's why I need glasses because the eye doctor once told me, he says, what your, what your brain does then is it pulls everything close and makes you nearsighted. My eyes will switch all on their own in the middle of a paragraph. i got to go back to the beginning of the page and start over again because I forget what I read because my eyes switch. Reading's hard. Do it. Do it anyway. The only excuse you have is if you can't. And if you can't learn, well, this is the 21st century. I mean, for 1,500 years, people didn't even have access to a Bible because they had to be copied by hand. Now the average home has more Bibles than people. Spend time in your words. Seek Jesus in the Word. When you live there, when that's where your head is at, when the Holy Spirit can take that and use it and speak blessing into your life so that you can be a blessing to others, so that others will know that, come to know the Jesus that you do. I forgot my point. Isn't that terrible? it'll all be worth it at that point. Your job is to abide. I know where I was going with all that. Jesus said to us, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth? You will know by listening to your own words how Jesus is working in your heart. Are you always angry? That didn't come from the Holy Spirit. Are you always tearing people down? It didn't come from the Holy Spirit. Are you always yelling at other people on the road? Confession time. I don't always yell, but I do talk to them a lot when they do stupid things. That doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. I mean, and that's just the easy check. That's not the Lord show me what's in my heart. That's just Lord what comes out of my mouth. That's the easy check. Do I need to go back? Do I live in Jesus? Can I be found in him at all times? Do I have to think about Jesus every waking second? No, but does he, has he so shaped and formed my life and conformed me to his will that the natural outflow of my life is Jesus? If it is, you're abiding. If it's not, you got some work to do. That simple. Again, Andrew Murray, he, he encourages this mindset. He says, when you face trouble, your response is, I abide in Christ. Now, you may, for, depending on the, the source of, and, and volume of trouble, you may go, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. Okay, that happens. You know, your car gets in an accident. Your first response isn't, oh, I abide in Christ. (laughs) First response is, some idiot hit my car. You find out, you know, you get sick. You get really sick. You know, poor Betsy. I'm sure her first response was, oh, I'm abiding in Jesus. This is okay. (laughs) I can tell you that it is now. When I spoke to her last night, what a blessing. She's just trusting in Jesus and enjoying time with Alan and, um, and accepting that God's in control of, of what she's going through in, with, with her health. It's not our first response when trouble comes. But it needs to be where we end up. I abide in Christ. Whatever God's got going on, God knows. I was in an accident a couple of years ago. Some crazy woman ran a red light. Spun my car around. I got a broken wrist out of it, not too badly, I guess. And I didn't get that from the impact; I got it from the car, the uh, airbag. Had my hand on the steering, bottom of the steering wheel. Airbag came in, hit the end of my wrist. God was in control. I don't know what He was thinking. I still don't know what He was thinking at the time. But He was in control. I abide. When somebody betrays you and your heart is broken, I abide. When you're spent and you don't have the strength to get out of bed and face another day, when that job is just driving you crazy, I'm with you. I abide. God has me there for a reason. I don't know what that is either, but he's got me there for a reason. I abide. But also when I'm fruitful, when my joy is complete, I abide in Christ. I abide in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we say it over and over again. All of the really, truly vital, important things in our life that impact our life, that make us who you want us to be. They don't come from our effort. They just don't. We can try, but we're going to be like that two-year-old who says, I do it myself and get the same results. You have such a perfect, glorious image for us as you breathe life into us as you form us and conform us into your image, make us into who you have created us to be, that we can be fruitful, that we can be useful to you and your kingdom and have our purpose, that our role is to abide. Lord, don't let us be distracted. Don't let us be discouraged. After the initial shock of whatever hits us in life that may turn us off the wrong way, cause us to remember, I abide remember that you're watching out for the pests. You're watching out for the blight. You're watching out for the scavengers that are going to come and try and steal our fruit. That you're trimming off the extraneous growth and the dead growth in our lives. And Lord, that may be uncomfortable. It may even seem undesirable at the time, but that we are dependent upon you for all of this and that we can be fruitful and that our joy can be complete in your name. Amen. Amen. Go and abide.